Hello and welcome to The Culture Bunker, your pop culture podcast roundup. I'm Sean Pattenden. And I'm Yelena Sofronievich. It ain't our fault that we're out here getting loose. Gotta blame it on the goose or indeed Lizzo. This week we listen to the force of nature that is Lizzo and her brand new album special. Will it top 2019's Storming Cause I Love You? Plus, Office Politica, we watch workplace drama The Good Boss Movie with Javier Bardem, directed by Fernando Leon de Arano. And boo, we listen to Working Men's Club's <laughs> second album, Fear Fear. Plus, we see Unstuck in Time, Curb Your Enthusiasm director Robert Vidi's documentary about American literary icon Kurt Vonnegut. All this and more on today's Culture Bunker. Welcome to The Culture Bunker. Let's say hello to our guest. Linda Marrick is a film critic who works for the likes of The Daily Mirror, Hey You Guys, BFI, New Scientist, Enemy, and many more. Hello, Linda. Welcome back to The Culture Bunker. Hi. How are you doing? Good. I'm good. You've just compiled a list of upcoming movies we need to watch out for. Which ones are on the list and why should we be salivating? Well, I, I, can, I can't give you the full list because we'd be here all day. But I think <laughs> the first one, I'd say that the one I'm looking forward to the most would be Nope, the new Jordan Peele movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all love Get Out and Us. And I think this, this is his third one. And I think this could potentially be his best one, to be honest, uh, because we know about Jordan Peele. His films are not exactly what they are about. There's mm. a lot of uh, mm. undercurrent of sort of race theory and sort of post-race theory and stuff. So, um, again, it starts Daniel Kluya and Kiki Palmer. It's a, a story of two siblings living on a remote ranch who make an otherworldly discovery. The next thing that I'm really looking forward to is, well, to say I'm looking forward to, I wasn't particularly keen on the first one, but, you know, James Cameron is back again with another Avatar movie. The highest grossing film of all time gets uh, a sequel. And 13 years later, we can criticise Avatar for all we like. And it uh, it broke more than uh, one record um, when it first came out. And I think it's fair to say that this is going to do just as well. So we also have a new film by the master of body horror, the the maestro David Cronenberg, a film that premiered at Cannes, Crimes of the Future, which is coming out 9th of September, so late summer, uh, which is also could be in the running for um, sort of award season. So yeah, throughout sort of the second half, usually the second half of the year is mostly films coming out sort of generally for award season. But mm-hmm. we, there are a few things that I don't think are going to end up. We also have the the new, not one, but two films starring Harry Styles, who is the <laughs> darling of... Um, so what's of, he in? He's in Don't Worry Darling by mm. Olivia Wilde, who is his girlfriend. <laughs> his squeeze. Yeah. And uh, My Policeman, about a, a closeted policeman in the 1950s, or is it 60s? Um, yeah, so I'm really looking forward to those two, and I think he's fantastic anyway. I love him. I don't think his music is that as groundbreaking as his acting. I think he's. I think he could potentially become a very sort of well-loved actor. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Great. I'm looking forward to that because I want to yeah. see if he can act. I really do. Yeah. We have obviously a very healthy obsession with film on this programme. Yeah. Um, but I'd also say I've been looking at listings for the weekend just so that I could go and sit in an air-conditioned cinema maybe yeah. Sunday, mm. Monday and Tuesday. That is my recommendation. See anything as long as you're yeah. cool. So before we move on, a reminder, you can get The Culture Bunker and all our shows early and without ads when you support The Bunker on Patreon. That means daily episodes on politics, science, pop culture and more, plus special extra shows just for subscribers. You're helping support truly independent broadcasting and our excellent team of presenters and audio producers. It supports us finding new stories and featuring new voices. So just search Patreon Bunker Podcast to find out more. It'll do some good. Baby, how you feeling? American singer, rapper and all-round lovable legend Lizzo is back with her fourth studio album, Special. But is it? We can't play music because of the woman this time. Linda, Lizzo won the most nominations at the 2019 Grammys after Cause I Love You came out. And we had About Damn Time and Girls trailed ahead of time with this. Are you a fan of Lizzo? I am a fan of Lizzo as Lizzo. I am, whether I'm a fan of her music, that's a different thing. I like her ethos. I like 
who she is and what she's about. And I like that what she represents for women and for mm. women of colour and for bigger women. I really love that sort of sassiness about her. I can't actually remember whether I liked the, uh, the 2019 album and I can't say I remember much from it, uh, but I do like her as a person. I am going to venture that this new album she's released is going to do very well. I'm not a fan, I have to say. I'm actually quite shocked at how not good it is. <laughs> um, and I'm really sorry. Please don't hate me for saying this because I really do love her. And I, I really like her. And I think she's a great musician. And I think she's, you know, she has a lot to say. But I think uh, she, there is a risk with these uh, pop stars who are, for the for want of a better expression, terminally online. People like mm. her and Doja Cat and people who are f forever too much in touch with their public to see what they're doing wrong because, I mean, they are celebrated regardless of what kind of music they put out. I think I did I did like about that time, but mostly, did I really like it? Or was it because it was trending highly on TikTok with the right. dance, with a famous dance? And I think every time I went on TikTok in the last month or so, that dance was just repeatedly done, done and done and done. I think to the point where it felt like she'd put crack in the, in the song <laughs> for it stuck in your head. I listened to the rest of the album and I, I have to say, none of it is as good as that tune. So now I understand why that, that was the first song to come out of it. There is, I mean, there is um, a, a song in, in which she rhymes video with video. I find the, all the lyrics really sort of a bit simple, you know, yeah. and uh, facile. And I'm afraid this isn't for me. And I, you know me, I love my pop. Mm. I am a, a, a pop, you know, I, I absolutely, I'm an, it's no Little Nas X, you know. And yeah, I think um, Little Nas X, uh, music is absolutely fantastic. It's like it penetrates into your head and you won't leave it alone. Um, I think apart from the first uh, uh, single that we had and Girls, I don't think any of these songs are, you know... If the album, good. yeah, if the album's title didn't give it away, it's very self-love central, this. Mm. Uh, in the sign, she says, I've been twerking, I've been making smoothies, it's called healing. Sean, <sighs> did the self-indulgence perhaps work for you? I'm always up for a bit of self-indulgence. I don't have a problem with that. But there were lines like, in case no one told you today, you're special. Yeah. Again, you know, following Linda's tip, it's yeah. like you could have done slightly better than that. There's a fantastic mm. line in the second song, it's bad bitch o'clock, and then you expect it to go <laughs> yeah. all guns blazing and to sort of pull that Beyonce spirit into it. And yet we're getting internet memes. We're almost at the point of a internet. sunset. Yeah. A sunset and feel good about yourself, hashtag self-care. And I think this burden of being a role model model has kind of got to her and she may be damned if she does and damned if she doesn't really yeah um but that seems to be a problem i mean there's a fantastic song i mean a title like everybody's gay mm. you would think right that's the banger it is banger o'clock and yet they just fall a bit flat and i feel really awful saying that it felt flat it felt like it wasn't even trying too hard it hadn't got to the point where it's trying and um, max martin produced it so it's interesting so it has a really good this lovely chic style nile rogers guitar it sounds yes. like sister sledge at points it has that disco funk thing going through it musically Definitely. I like that say we just get the burden of responsibility of being Lizzo and maybe she's just better being Lizzo than singing about being Lizzo mm. yes and actually it's good that you said that because I, I feel like she feels like she doesn't really need to make and she doesn't in real mm. she doesn't really need to make an effort because she has such a huge following yeah. that there will sort of accept anything she, like, this is why I said the word the, the, the expression terminally online there are people who are have got such a massive following they could literally release anything and it will do well and I, I, I think that's kind of detrimental to the music genre because nobody's going to remember these songs in five years times no. yeah, I can't I've listened to it twice this morning yeah. and there were no hooks that have nothing. stuck with me nothing yeah. like that that I heard what about you Yelena yeah I'm afraid I'm not a huge fan of this one and it's mm. also the thing is, I think for people who like Lizzo, they will really love it. But Cause I Love You is absolutely great, her last album. Yeah. That was all bangers all the time. Yeah. There it was, Kitchen Disco or There's Your Lambrini, you know, <laughs> it's celebrating that. It's interesting, though, what you were saying, Sean, about the production side of this, because I think it's really steeped in a kind of nostalgia. About Damn Time kind of sounds like... Bee Gees for Gen Z yeah, yeah. as a bit of a staying alive sort of yeah. beat to it but mm. it's weird because it kind of goes through those 
key points of musical nostalgia that we keep seeing in pop music now. We've got mm. 70s, 80s. There's a lot of 90s things and early noughties that almost sound like semi-samples. So in Break Up Twice, where she's saying, boy, you know you mm. better, mm. it made me think of doo-wop quite a lot, oh, wow. but kind yeah. of uncredited. And then If You Love Me kind of has hints of Beautiful by Christina Aguilera. So it was weird. Like I was hearing all of these songs mm. of like a span of about 40 years mm. cropping up as I was listening to it, but... But, but, None were as good. Yeah, but the lyrics are also very bad. Yeah. They're very sort of back of a sort of a birthday card or what right. you call it, you know. It, 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 yes, it all felt, hallmark, yeah, it all fe- felt uh, all a bit contrived and sort of, uh, you know, like you've been forced to be positive about stuff. And and if yeah. there's anything that puts me off mm. is the Be Kind Brigade. So yeah. it's very, yeah. it, it is that. of the Instagram yeah. generation. What I want to ask though is that this is very much the ground emotionally that someone like self-esteem, who we do like on this podcast, mm-hmm. um, covers. This is still the same sort of thing, but what making Lizzo less attractive is it lyrics I think there's just not an edge to it Mm. it's so positive and it's so which sounds terrible (laughs) to say it's so positive but I just don't think that there's a bite to this album in the same way that there was with Cause I Love You. Yeah. yeah. There's no subversion. No. Give me subversion. Mm. Give me Lil, Lil Nas X with, with fake boobs and, you know, yeah. <laughs> and dancing around. You know, I really, I think that's the difference. I think just do what you like. And I, I feel like people are, I, her fans are dictating which direction mm. she mm. should be taking. Mm. And I, I think that's where most pop stars really fall when they yeah. start listening too much to what what the fans are saying do your do your thing do you you know and on that linda i think there's a bit of even pandering to that audience and to a younger audience i yeah. noticed the lyrics in i love you bitch which was mm. arguably like the real anthem in this uh, in this album to female friendship mm. and companionship mm. She has the line, you water your plants and eat your veg. I'm obsessed with it. And I often, you know, use the throw an avocado at me stereotype here. But like as a young person seeing that, it Mm. just feels like it's playing to those quite simplistic ideas about yeah, different yeah, generations yeah, yeah, yeah. so I didn't like And you it. mentioned smoothie up the, yeah. the top as Potty. well this is yeah. very I'm just thinking someone's Instagram yeah. Here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and yeah. not in a very good way Now my next question isn't even a question it's just a word Coldplay Oh, baffling yeah. Yeah, what, what, baffling what's <laughs> going on yeah. yeah yeah. the one reference I didn't want yeah. now <laughs> this album also comes with the Lizzoverse which is an immersive cosmic light show experience set to the album it's an AV planetarium spectacle that's going to take place in New York this weekend with oh. shows every two hours and it's going to be live streamed on Twitch obviously for us avocado and enthusiasts <laughs> As we were talking about ABBA Voyage mm. just a few weeks mm. ago, do we think that this is, you know, another part of the next generation of live music or is this just Lizzo going out of this world? Honestly, does not interest me in the slightest. Yeah. I think if you're going to do a live show, do a live show and sing live with, you know, in front of a crowd. Otherwise, don't bother. I just, you know, it's really not me at all. Every week we ask our guests to bring in a current favourite track of theirs as a service to you, the listener. Linda, what's yours and why do you love it? Oh, yes, sports scene. Why do I love it? I really like comedy indie. You know, I, I liked uh, Half Man, Half Biscuit. Mm-hmm. And this, these guys mm-hmm. really very much reminded me of them. Mm-hmm. And um, I've really liked it. And I, I just they? I've not heard of them. The only reason I know of them is because they've been sort of played quite a bit on Six Music. Mm-hmm. And that's currently because I am older these days the only way of keeping with the indie world for me is to have six music on blaring out of every radio in the house you know just so, so that I'm not completely past it and I, I thought it was just so exciting and so interesting and funny and yeah I really loved it we'll hear more from six music a little bit later on but for now <laughs> the game by sports team is going on the playlist And on to the movies. The Good Boss stars Javier Bardem and is directed by Fernando León de Aronia. Set in a Spanish factory which has made weighing scales for generations of the glamour, Blanco is not only the boss of the family business, but he's a friend, a counsellor, a peacemaker and much more (laughs) to his legion of loyal staff. Or so it would seem. The trailer is in Spanish, but let's listen to a little bit of it to get us in the spirit. And who knows, you might all speak Spanish, listeners. Hay que trucar la balanza para que la medida sea exacta. 
Linda Marrick, I'm going to have to start with you. Are you familiar with uh, the director's work? I'm actually not. When it comes to this, I feel like it's a kind of a more of a, a minor f- movie than I think it's bigger because mm. of who is in it. Yes. I think Javier Bardem being in this movie has made it bigger than it had any sort of intention of being. Mm-hmm. I think often I felt like, why is this being released internationally? I wasn't exactly enamoured with the sort of the way it was constructed. So set it up for us, if you All right, would. So. So, yeah, Javier Batem is Blanco, the boss of a uh, factory that makes scales, as you said. His factory has been nominated for a prestigious <laughs> business prize. He's trying his best to sort of to look good. But at the same time as being nominated, he's also letting loads of people go because his company's making a loss and he's let few. But one of the people he's letting go is not taking it <laughs> lying down, basically. No. And he's uh, camped outside with his kids, brought his kids uh, in front of the the factory, and he's camped outside and wants to be reinstated. Also, uh, there is a, a, another subplot. What his best uh, employee and best friend for twenty years is having a bit of a breakdown because he's, he's suspecting his wife of cheating mm-hmm. on him, and Blanco knows who he's, she's cheating with. So, all of that makes for sort of almost like a farcical, yeah. made for TV thing. And I suppose it's almost soap opera ish. I appreciate Bardem's. Um, Performance is absolutely brilliant, but I'm actually quite surprised it did get an international release of any kind. Right. Mm. Yeah. It won lots of awards in Spain. It won Spain, six yeah. awards yeah. on one of them, you would know, and I think it was nominated for many, many more. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you think, Yelena? You were sitting next to me in the screening. Yeah, I'm, I've am i kind of had the opposite experience yeah. okay. of Linda in that I, I really enjoyed this. Mm. I think it's a lesson in storytelling, yeah. really. And it really hooked me from the start. And I think a lot of that is the direction because... As Linda mentions these kind of operatic tones, there's one scene towards the end that's narrated by Prokofiev's Romeo and Juliet, both the ballet and the music. And it gives this backdrop for a very dramatic crescendo. But actually, the real merit in this film for me is how the director de Aranoa lavishes this attention on these very subtle, minuscule moments. Mm. And as Linda says, like all of these events are building mm. up and building mm. up and you're just always wondering, when's that balance going to tip? Yeah. When is Blanco going to flip and when is the whole film yeah. going to explode? And it kind of keeps you in a state of permanent suspense to the point where at the... I won't uh, give any spoilers, obviously, but at the ending, I was sat there on the edge of my seat... <laughs> Just looking at the facial expressions to try and determine what was going to happen Mm, next. mm. Every single scene has both darkness and humour and dark humour all at the same time. And I went away from it, actually, and I did a lot of reading and listening to interviews Mm. with both Javier Bardem and with the Mm. director. And it's interesting because they had a good long period of time together, about a month together, to create the chemistry between the mm. cast. And I think that really that really shows. Mm-hmm. Do you think it would have been different without Bardem in the lead role? Exactly. Yeah. I actually don't, you know. Really? Yeah, I think that the cast on the whole is really, really strong. Mm. I think that each character is given enough opportunity to have their own character development. And I think actually, although Linda's right in that there is the kind of undercurrent of this being a film about workplace exploitation, and even Bardem himself says that he draws a lot on Harvey Weinstein for his character. Mm, I saw that. I actually think that the other characters do have subtle nuances in their portrayals. So, for instance, his wife, Adela, who's played by Sonia Almarcha, she isn't this ignorant wife at home to what's mm. going on in the mm. workplace. In fact, she's given some of the best lines and she'll mm. quite happily throw mm. a barb at him when he's talking about being a self-made millionaire and she just turns to him at the dinner table and says, yes, but you inherited the factory from <laughs> your father. Similarly, the intern, Liliana, she really uh, takes agency as, as the film continues on. So I actually think this is a film just as much about all of these people. And I remember when uh, I was watching Amelie when I did mm. A-Level French. Mm. <laughs> it's a film about the cafouillage. You'll appreciate that as well. And, uh, <laughs> about these little problems that people have. And I think so much of it is to do with that as well. Mm. I really liked it. So I okay. was I was, yeah, wondering... How is it going to play out? How do we have the racist, sexist boss that then somehow we're going to find that interesting? What's this journey, man? Mm. But it because, A, Bardem is so good, but because that supporting cast is so good, and I think it being about 
the responsibility of business. Yes. It's about, as an employer, do you poke your nose into the affairs that your staff are having in order to sort it out and save your company? How do you save your company? This is an industrial weighing factory. It is not in the real world in the sense of it's not high tech. There are no computers there. You sense that that idea of it, actually a very fast disintegration in this company. He's really trying to hold everything together and you can just feel the disappointment that he knows it's going to disintegrate. And what I like about the Liliana character is she has that ambition from the start. She's a really fully realised character. Mm. She has an ambition and by the end, you know that something else is going to take over and the modern world has sort of you know, arrived at this incredibly old-fashioned, racist, sexist factory. The Fortuna character is really interesting because he is this silent victim and keeps getting put into these terrible situations yeah. by Bardem. And behind the eyes, it's beautifully acted, Is and especially the ending. Yeah. The slightly ambiguous ending of, mm. this guy has been through the mill. I just thought all that within the responsibility of business and an employer and what you know the, the big boss man yeah, does yeah. and how we how we relate to the big boss man because there's points in the dinner party where you, you are relating with him rather than with anyone else yeah. i just found that really interesting well explored and really I, tightly plotted yeah I, I totally understand why it got so many nominations and mm. why it won everything and the, the, the spanish oscars because it's a very spanish narrative there's comedy there's politics and there is yeah. seriousness in it and i just think all of those things are very typical uh, of uh, sort of french mm-hmm. but as I said, for me, as a film critic, mm. I don't see anything in this that um, sets it apart from any other yeah. film on the subject. And I just think, I think it's a glorified TV movie. But at the same time, I totally understand mm. why it did so well. <laughs> and mm. Javier Bardem is excellent as ever and, you know, deserves all the accolades, obviously. So, yeah. Well, I would. I would strongly recommend it. It is out this weekend and it's on streaming and it's in your local art house cinema. So go and see it if you fancy it. And also the cinema is, as we say, very cool. Now, it's not often Yelena or I get to choose a track to play on the show, but we're, hey, today is the day. Yelena Sofronievich, what have you chosen and why? So I have chosen The Process, which Mm -hmm. is a song by Self Esteem and it features as part of the soundtrack for Prima Facie, which is a play. Uh, It's National Theatre, but it's currently on at the Harold Pinter. And it's about to go to National Theatre live in cinemas 21st of July, so you can go and catch it wherever you go. So I saw Prima Facie. I was fortunate enough to get tickets to go and see Prima Facie at the Harold Pinter Mm -hmm. recently. And I would say it is probably the best live play I have ever seen in my life. It is Jodie Comer's stage debut Mm -hmm. and it is a one-hander. Basically, she plays a lawyer who starts off specialising in sexual abuse cases um, and then there's a dramatic twist halfway through and we see the tables turn. It is not just one of the best live plays I've ever seen, but it's probably one of the best live 100 minutes I've ever sat through. Um, in the words of Jade, who came with me to see it, nothing about it was unexceptional. For people who don't really like theatre, would they <laughs> like this? That's my question. Yes, because Jodie Comer is probably one of the actors of our generation. Okay. She is unstoppable delivering this stream of consciousness performance. And there are so many other elements of the production as well that are just amazing. The staging and to the point the music which is all done by self-esteem so all of it self-esteem it's not various yes. artists yes. as I had imagined okay yeah so they, she was approached to do it and originally she basically I listened to her in a fantastic yeah. interview with Jude Rogers mm-hmm. a good friend of the podcast recently mm-hmm. where she said prioritised pleasure could have been the soundtrack to this right. production yeah. but no she created all of the nice. music for the production from scratch it's just come out on CD and you can get your vinyl at the end of the year it will be on a nice red disc mm-hmm. So, yeah, I wanted to play The Process by Self-Esteem as both a nod to the fact that anyone can now go and watch the production Mm. on the 21st of July, 7pm, go to your cinema and go and watch it. As someone who went to see it live, I will be going again to go and see it (laughs) at the cinema. It's fantastic. And we're putting it on the playlist, aren't we? Yes. And Sean, what about you? Well, I was... Very excited this week to hear that Gilliband, my favourites, one of them, have released the first single that's from their album, which is coming out in the autumn. Gilliband, of course, used to be Girl Band, but they changed their name because they were really worried it offended people. I think that's so sweet. They're from Dublin and they sound like the fall 
but the fall falling down the stairs. <laughs> um, <laughs> and also with an Irish element to it. And I absolutely adore them because it always sounds wrong and yet it sounds so right. Dara, the lead singer, says this song is about being out of touch with modern circumstances while feeling socially limited. It's about wearing bad clothing. Some of the chorus goes, I went to Aldi, I went to Lidl, I went to JC's, get my boot cut jeans. And it's absolutely <laughs> fantastic. There's lots of swearing in it. We have cleared 30 seconds. Hopefully this is a bit that does have the swearing in it. So let's give it a listen. I went to Unis. I went to Debenhams. I went to Spa. I went to Eason's. I went to Aldi. I went to Feel the fear, fear, and do it anyway. Todd Morton's finest working men's club released their second album, Fear, Fear, this weekend. After the storming self-titled debut of 2020, which was a particular favourite of friend of the show, John Cooper Clark, how do they build on their honest fusion of disco, rave and dour northern verbiage? Let's listen to a little of Widows. Warning, it might too have some rude words in it. They're all the way through. The whole track will be on our playlist. Link in the show notes. Here's Widows. up member of Working Men's Club. Had you heard the first album before this? Yes, and if I wasn't already a card-carrying <laughs> member of Working Men's Clubs after listening to Pete Brown talk about his fantastic book a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. then I certainly am now. I adore this album. It's me all over, to be fair, though, because it's 1980s cold synth-pop nostalgia to the nth degree. <laughs> Interestingly, though, this is an album a lot about juxtapositions and there's Mm. a real development over the course of it so we open with 19 which has this kind of unsettlingly long instrumental which really really frightened my cat (laughs) he absolutely (laughs) ran away when he heard it but that's just an aside for pet lovers but it captures that uncertainty that not knowing that makes Mm. this sort of soundtrack to what i'm going to call the capital t the long covid period in which it comes out Mm -hmm. um and then it finishes or nearly finishes, I should say, with Circumference, which almost sounds like the Pet Shop Boys at So Poppy. So it's really interesting because their debut came out in October 2020, mm-hmm. I believe, and it was already delayed because of COVID. Mm-hmm. But apparently the tracks for this one were sent to Heavenly, who put this out, on the day that that album was released. Mm-hmm. So this is really a COVID album, if you want to call it that, mm-hmm. to the nth degree. And it captures that spirit of the mood so perfectly. What I love about this, there's a great Twitter account, which you should all follow, called at goth underscore videos. Um, but it's called goth music videos. And they post the most hilarious memes. And they've got a great one where they've got the Breakfast Clubs, Ali Sheedy and Molly Ringwald. And they've put The Cure and also The Cure with their two, like, pink and also goth. Mm. Um, And I think this album captures that juxtaposition perfectly too. There's something for everyone who loves a bit of 80s in this. Linda, I'm calling this the angular young man genre. Get it? Angular guitars. Yeah. yeah. Yardak, Shame, Seaford Mods, etc, etc, etc. It follows a line and yet it suddenly veers off in it. What were your thoughts? I really liked it. I typed down Electro and then I I, I kind of carried on listening and it's loads synth, it's Electro, Mm. it's uh, uh, Depeche Mode, it's The Fall Mm. as well, Mm. you know. So it's uh, it it keeps sort of vacillating between being very, very listenable, very sort of uh, melodic Mm. to being 
extremely all over the place and very techno-y, mm, which mm. I love about. And I love those kind of weird sort of techno, uh, you know, as as an ex-raver myself, <laughs> I love those kind of weird sort of techno noises uh, that are there just to sort of like, yeah, like, you know, kick you out of sort of your, you know, I, I really liked it. I liked Widow. I think, um, I, I think Widow's, that's, Widow's yes. yeah, Widow's. I, I think it, I, it's a sort of a darker, more electory indie mm. Depeche Mode mm. and doing Depeche Mode or perhaps the for the women Depeche Mode or the other way around. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's mm. like, uh, um, I also liked Cut, which um, sticks in your brain. It soon feels like something you've heard before mm. a few years ago. Mm. So I think that that's, that. I think that the strength is they feel old as well as new and you kind of like you can't help but sort of embrace them because you there's there's like a sense of familiarity in their sound yes. which uh, I think is what works yes. for them and I really love that no one's mentioned the n-word new order which I was getting kind oh of yes yeah, but actually you know my 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 other half who is a massive new order fan who was listening mm, to, mm. To, to me with me last night and he was like oh it's very new order uh, he's, we first both said Depeche Mode he says very new order mm. so yeah and yeah um, and there's bits of industrial it's produced by Sheffield man Ross Orton who's done The Fall Arctic Monkeys Horrors etc mm. he used to be an ad end to X if anyone remembers oh, them oh right. yeah, yeah, yeah 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 so he has his chops I also wrote down Philip Larkin meets S Express there is a very disgruntled disco thing about this we're talking yeah. about the contradiction within it. This is someone who's singing about depression, about suicide, not necessarily his own feelings, because I think there are more characters populating these songs than there were in the first album. But this is, you know, in another context, this is sort of joy division. And yet we have this absolutely banging industrial electro backbeat to it, which, as you say, sometimes goes really dark and then pulls itself right out Mm. of that again. Would that work for everybody? Could it be jarring? Personally, I don't think. Mm, I, I think yeah. it would work for everybody. Mm. I, I think there is enough niceness in there to <laughs> sort of guide you in, and when you get to the dark bit, you can't help but stay there. So, yeah. I think it's a really l- lovely way of doing it as mm. well. And it's not full of itself. It's not self indulgent. It's really lovely and very muso yes. and very knowledgeable of what it's doing, which yeah. I genuinely really appreciate because not so many people try to emulate all these sort of electro synth yeah. pops, yeah, yeah. pop song, the sounds of the eighties and they fail miserably because they're just imitating they're not imitating they're doing their own thing Mm. and I think that's lovely and I think even in the darkness there's a very tongue-in-cheek humour I loved Widow and the line I love you now you're dead you see (laughs) and similarly with Heart Attack you know there's a woman in black she's a heart attack so there is a there's a fun there's a lightness to even the darkness and what there is it's that wit um, yes. For me that I really like with Heart Attack, he just repeats those two lines again and again. Those those are the only lines yeah. in the song. And that you just get this disco stormer by the end of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um it's Sid Minsky Sargent who does everything. He wrote and played everything on this. Oh, wow. There are three people in the band, but they didn't play on this record. It's him and wow. Um, oh, wow. him and Ross sitting in the studio and then it makes loads and loads of sense. There's something yeah. about that that really is a singular vision. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. he's gone, right, I'm not going to compromise any of these things. This is what it sounds like. We're going to do it. And I, I fell in love with this album and have Same. played it Same. all week. It's in my top three of the year, year so far. Oh, wow. Um, Excellent. I absolutely Excellent. adore it. And I just, it was like, shall I put it on again and ruin it? Shall I put it on again and ruin it? Yes, put it on again, put it on again. You know, I really like techno noises that, that most people don't appreciate. The bleeps really, and bloops. Yeah, I really, it's beautifully you know, produced I, especially, and really well. Actually, sometimes when I'm writing, yeah. it actually helps me, especially if it's if it's got no lyrics. And I yeah. just, those are kind of the, the, the noises are, that feel natural to me. You know, say so. the noises of your mind, Linda. You're a dark soul. <laughs> well, this is my only conflict about this album, okay. actually. I obviously cannot now wait to see them live. Oh, I know. It's so exciting. But I'm really divided as to how exactly I imagine they'll be because part of me thinks... Euphoric! Yeah, well, yes, euphoric. But also part of me really wants this to be a small and intimate gig in the same way that um, I saw Nation of Language at the start of the year and it's yeah. a kind of similar sort of thing. We were talking about high school a few weeks ago, which definitely tap in, by the way, to the whole New Order mm. Joy Division style of music. And that was very intimate. Mm. I also think I could see this as a huge... Yeah. big stage production oh, in the same way that public service broadcasting yeah. are yeah, yeah, yeah. because of those like you said those very industrial technical sounds mm. um, so now I just don't know how I want to see them live I just know that I do big and small we'll follow them around yeah. the country that'd be, fa- I think that'd be fantastic I mean there is just when you find yourself singing on a glorious summer morning like it was today walking around this futile place such a disaster so mm-hmm. uneducated you just think that songwriting when you can get me to sing that and then have it in my brain all day mm. that's what I absolutely adore yeah I would I just 
yeah, I'm utterly smitten with this album. I Me think too. it's just glorious. That and Kendrick Lamar are my favourite so far. <laughs> we are heartily recommending this record. You can dance to it and you can weep about the fate of humanity. It's fabulous. <laughs> And so it goes. Unstuck in Time recounts the extraordinary life of American author Kurt Vonnegut and the relationship he developed with documentary filmmaker Robert Vardy in the process. It's a tribute for the fans and an introduction for the completely uninitiated. So what did we make of the life of the anti-Salinger? Here's the trailer. Hi, this is Vonnegut. The preeminent novelist of our time, Kurt Vonnegut. Do you really know the answers to everything? What would you like to know? Well, I... He's been the most profound influence in my life. I think he's the funniest person alive. <laughs> I was 23 when I first approached him about making this film. I became obsessed. What high school kid isn't going to gobble this up? He thinks what I think about the world. Then there was a letter. Dear Robert Whitey. Holy crap, it's him. I was always filming on and off with him over the years. Just thinking, you know, I'll figure this out later. Are we going? Yeah, yeah. We would talk about almost anything. Now, what are my books about? He was opening up about his childhood. Ten years old, I pointed up and said, there is Tralfamador. His experience in Dresden. We all came out and the city was gone. Become friends. If you find your life tangled up with somebody else's, that person may be a member of your caress. But no matter how much time I put in, I never finished the film. Hi, Bob. I look forward to seeing you on Thursday. The author, Kurt Vonnegut, has died. So it goes. Kurt told me once, we don't understand the first thing about time. This is how he experienced life. When you take almost 40 years to make a film, you owe some kind of an explanation. Billy Pilgrim has come unstuck in time. What happens when a writer stops writing? Sadness is an interesting emotion. I prefer laughter to crying. <laughs> Vonnegut shows that it's not the end, it's the journey. It's the impermanence of life. This day is as real as any day we're going to live. When things are going sweetly, please pause and say, if this isn't nice, what is? Hi, Bob, this is Kurt. I want to thank you for your friendship. Love you. Linda, filmmaker Robert Vidy first read Breakfast of Champions at school, and indeed we even see his teacher who put it on the curriculum. How and when did you become familiar with his work? Like everyone else, possibly in my early 20s, you mm-hmm. know, Slaughterhouse Five, obviously. And uh, like, I think the more you read about him, the more you know about him, the more interested you are in those characters he creates. And I feel like all of his characters are just him, basically. And and, and I think that's what the, the film, really, in the end, comes to sort of a conclusion to. I have to say, watching this, I found sometimes myself almost in tears yeah. uh, of, uh, you know, because he's uh, of what went on, but not just the Dresden stuff and not uh, if anyone familiar with uh, with Slaughterhouse Five knows the story, so I'm not going to repeat it, but also him, his life, it, the, the loss in his life, the death of his sister, the breakup of the, of the marriage. I just thought this was so beautifully done. And I think that you could tell that you could see the friendship between him and the director that went on for I mean, he's trying. He's been trying to make this movie for forty years, mm, you know. Yes. So it starts with interviews with Kurt Vonnegut and before his death, and all in all, I just generally felt so. I think this is like a as perfect as a documentary can be. It's absolutely beautiful. It's got heart, brilliant story storytelling. When people talk about documentary not being narrative films, I, this is show them this film. Genuinely heart wrenching, inspiring, and had me in tears throughout the whole the whole thing 
Yeah. We'll come on and talk more about the filmmaking process a bit later on because I thought that was really interesting. Mm. Sean, were you familiar with his work for No, not enormously. One of those American literary icons that sometimes do pass you by, unless you yeah. do them in school yes. or a pal of mm. yours is reading. I don't know that much about him, so I enjoyed learning more about this person, but it always also gave me a distance in that I don't have a natural fondness for him. Mm -hmm. So you're going to really have to persuade me with this. And it's quite a long documentary. It's just over two hours. So there was almost a little bit of, yeah, I've got that bit. Yeah, I understand that bit. Can we move it forward? What I really liked is it's about the relationship between the director and Kurt Vonnegut and how over 40 years they become like family. And those are the bits that I found really moving and that the director is so good, Robert Veed is so good Fabulous, at talking yeah. to camera and he's making jokes within the first 10 minutes about this is the point where I'm wearing the pink shirt, the stripy shirt, because he's done this so many times talking yeah. to camera for the end of this documentary that still hasn't come out yet, mainly because he was directing Curb Your Enthusiasm for a long time. <laughs> but that's the humour of him and that, that, as they say, lightness of touch within it was the thing that really charmed me by the yeah. end. Yeah. Mm. And I think it shows their relationship quite well because there's a lot about the long process of novel writing. Mm. So at one point they're talking about Breakfast of Champions and how it took mm. him four years and how Kurt Vonnegut often would go for short stories because most fundamentally he could get the income faster. Mm. Um, so I found that the kind of parallels between subject and author here. And I didn't realise how really long it took to write Slaughterhouse-Five and how many different yeah. formats at one point there was a script of it. You mm. know, he couldn't get it right for a long and time, different which is really interesting. And, you know, yeah. Mm. Now, the thing I also found was that for someone who's so known for their scathing humour and their satire, so there's a line at the start where he says, I'm screamingly funny and that's why people love him. Mm. It is, as Linda said, very surprisingly warm. And Mm. you learn a lot about him as a person that I thought really surprised me and about his family and his family story. Linda, can you tell us a bit more about his sister, Alice? And Yeah, um, I think Alice was one of his favourites, obviously. And there is a scene in 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 the documentary where he returns to his childhood home at the front of the house where they'd been building there's like handprints of the kids when they were little yeah. and they'd been left there by mm. the people who bought the house afterwards and I just thought that was that scene that was one of the most touching scenes of any film I've ever seen because you could see him just getting really very moved because his sister by then had I think died already and she she had cancer and it was too late to, to do anything about it and I think her death had a, a real like a, a huge sort of effect on him as a human being and he went on to adopt all of her children her yes, four kids yes. you know uh, because, because, chaos. because yeah because See. unfortunately her as well as her dying of cancer her husband had just been in a train crash and mm. died instantly his house was which was already full of kids turned into sort of a a, a crash by the time uh, uh, his sister had died and I, I, I just I think all of the things that he talked about and it, actually the whole family I, I loved the the way um, his interaction with the his whole family even his dad how proud his dad was of him I think many many times you see writers or directors or pe- intellectuals who are very much uh, affected by the bad relationship mm. they had with their parents yeah this is the other way around and I, I also really liked that it wasn't it didn't it wasn't just about Slaughterhouse Five and it wasn't just yeah. about yeah. his experience of being a sort of a prisoner of war in Dresden when Dresden was being completely mm. flat, flattened by mm. the Allied forces. And I think there is a, a bit in it where he claims to not have been affected by what he'd seen mm. in uh, in the war. And his daughters come out to say that's complete tosh and rubbish. Everything yeah. he's written after coming back from the war has been influenced mm. by his complete disdain for war and for mm. having been made to sort of go and kill other people I think um, it's such an interesting really well made movie really fantastic um, yeah I, I, I actually have to say I, as a a, um, a documentary enthusiast as someone who watches tons and tons of documentaries I think this has this could potentially be my my favourite one of the year oh, so far wow. yeah it's interesting you say that because all of his books are really permeated with that personal experience and it's just that we tend to think of things like Slaughterhouse-Five yeah. and Breakfast of Champions I loved when they were describing God bless you Mr Rosewater or Pearls mm-hmm. Before Swine which came out in 65 and the description is as if a book was written by a starving man yeah. I think yeah, there's yeah, yeah. so much of of him in this and the fact that we see how he really uses laughter as a form of social coping. I mean, there are times where he breaks out into uncontrollable, almost maniacal laughter. And that's where I think you really see 
the real him, I'm using air quotations mm. here, when he's talking about those experiences, he says, I prefer laughing to crying because it leaves less mess. But it's a very heartfelt documentary. It's a form of PTSD, yeah. obviously, isn't it? It's like, you know, what he'd gone through throughout the war must have, you know, and there are, there's some ar- archival sort of footage in it from the bo- bombing of um, uh, Dresden, which mm-hmm. is heart-wrenching and uh, actually it's, it's footage that I had never seen before mm. I don't know if any of you were no, I, I hadn't it, no. seen that footage. Mm. and I like I've seen my fair share of documentaries mm. about mm. Second World War mm. so so uh, yeah I'd, I'd never I'd never seen that, that footage before and I just uh, it was kind of shocking and to think he'd gone through all that you know is uh, extraordinary I yeah. want to talk about the visuals very briefly because as well as that documentary footage there's a lot as we said of the family there's a great scene where his four nephews it shows a photo of them all sat on a sofa as children mm. and then all of a sudden there they all are as adults mm. being interviewed together mm. yeah. but there's also so many animations and illustrations throughout that yeah, kind of yeah, yeah. Uh, echo his own artwork in fact he's often described as the only author whose paintings look just like their writing and mm. Sean I wanted to ask you what you thought of the visual elements of this it was obviously so integral to him yeah and often writing and drawing gets uh, put into polar opposite camps and they go together so well and part of the process sometimes writers draw before they can write J.K. Mm. Rowling does for instance he did obviously it can spark ideas using a visual medium and then going into something else and I I love that way I mean he comes across as someone who was just really quite honest and enormously generous of heart and generous in spirit and I think you get that through this is a comedy picture of a hat somehow. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So would we recommend yes. this then? Uh, 100%, yes, definitely. Um, it gets, uh, as I said, it's my favourite mm. documentary of the year so far. Great. I mean, having seen McEnroe, which is getting a massive <laughs> um, release across the country by Universal, honestly, I was more touched by this than mm. I was by McEnroe, which is a fantastic documentary mm. also. So, yeah. Well, I'd certainly rather watch uh, two women draped over a typewriter imitating yeah. their father. <laughs> yeah. No, he's I would... more hunched, as they <laughs> say. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Then I would do a tennis star anyway. Yeah. So Unstuck in Time is available to stream and you can catch it in some cinemas too on the 17th of July. with that we're at the end of the podcast and it's closing time chatter what will we be discussing as we don our eco-friendly disco sequence and take to the dance floor with a can of MS mojito in our veritable paws linda what's your closing time chatter um i'm gonna go for some good news for Ooh. change which is i don't not news but good sort of uh, a new trend that i've noticed which i really i am all for which is book talk what is what is book talk? You are, you may ask. Yes. Yeah. What is book talk? Book talk is um, basically TikToks <laughs> of people who've uh, young, sort of very young Gen Z uh, TikTokers mm-hmm. talking about the latest book they've re- they've re- they've read, very and it's good. Uh, and yes. they're not buying them to sort of to listen to. They're not buying them electronically. They're actually buying physical book copies books. of books, Goodness and apparently Barnes and No Barnes and Nobles in America have mm. a whole area in their shops now titled Book Talks, most popular books in, on TikTok, and they and these books are selling like hotcakes. And I'm all for it. I and I think uh, whether it's a trend that is going to carry on, whether people do, are doing it just sort of to, Reading, to be cool, think catch I on. don't even care <laughs> if they're doing it just to be cool. I'm just happy that people are buying physical books again, mm. and um, and it's doing and and Barnes and Nobles and possibly other British uh, book, uh, you know, bookshop bookshops might be doing mm. the same thing. And I'm all for it. Does anyone ever promote Tic Tacs on TikTok? (laughs) Anything else? That's just an aside. Wonderful. Good re-books. Yelena, what's your closing time chatter? I have two stories, but they're linked together in that they're both Uh about rediscovered portraits. Yes. Uh, So the first one, I went down to Chichester last weekend to the Pallant House Gallery Mm -hmm. for the fantastic Glyn Philpott exhibition. He is a painter who is best known for his 1910s, 1920s society portraits. Think of the bright young things. Mm. And you can see that. But basically what this exhibition is arguing that he 
should be known and he should be remembered for more of his later works, his mm -hmm. 1930s European-influenced modernist works, but also for his representation of people of colour, especially black men, and of queer and LGBTQ plus histories. Mm -hmm. And the exhibition is so interestingly curated in that way because there's kind of a big central room in Pallant House that has these, what they're arguing are the main works you should know of his. A lot of them, by the way, very inspired by sort of Bauhaus modernism. Mm -hmm. Very, very cool. And then it has these little ancillary rooms, if you like, that you can dip into if you want to, but actually main show go yeah. and see it um, and then my second rediscovered mm. portrait has to be of course the Van Gogh that yes. they've found tacked onto the back yeah. of another mm. painting in Glued. Edinburgh yes <laughs> and can I just say as someone who's lived in Edinburgh for five years and been many times to the mm. National Galleries I'm very disappointed that I never got the chance to see it so I'll be first there in November mm. when it's out cool. to go and check it out Sean what about you well mine is very simple because I'm just going to Read the basic of it and you can find out more if you want to, but I think it's really wonderful. Mark Haddon, the author, obviously, of The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Night Time, mm -hmm. has pledged all future US royalties of his books to abortion rights groups. Yes. Mm. After the Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade, it's one of those things that he didn't know what quite he should do and we all didn't know quite what he should do in that point where you really want some people power but you don't know how to get it and I think it's absolutely fantastic he made the announcement this week and and I say I mean that's all, all you can say it's simply that and it just it just made me feel better about the world this yes, morning yes, I just yes. think it's absolutely wonderful and I am so I'm really really touched by it I think it's a really wonderful gesture and it's not just a gesture it's actually going to happen so good on Mark Haddon and that's the end of the podcast. Thank you so much to Linda Marek for joining us on The Culture Bunker. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. And Thank remember, you. you can get all the tunes on our rolling playlist. The link is at the top of the show notes. From myself and Sean and producers Alex Reese and Jay Bailey, thank you for listening. We will see you next week. Stay cool, everyone. Remember to hydrate and not just with beer. Oh, Well, we can have a little bit of beer. We'll <laughs> see you on the other side. Bye. Bye. The Culture Bunker was produced and presented by Sean Pattenden and Yelna Sofronievich. The group editor was Andrew Harrison. An audio production was by me, Alex Reese. Theme tune by Kenny Dickinson. The Culture Bunker is a Podmasters production. <laughs>